Welcome to Unashamed, Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming unto Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed, Unafraid. What up, James? How you doing, Chris? Good. We are without Steve tonight for the second podcast in a row that we're recording. Well, it might not be in a row, but depends on when it's... Yeah, it depends on when we publish it. We'll see. But Steve's off doing some things with the family tonight, and um grateful that we were able to have Rod and Heather join us tonight. It was an honor indeed. So Rod has a different story. He reached out to me and had a little bit different story. Some of you guys have been looking for a story like this where um, he's been divorced and actually has some sobriety behind him after being divorced. Right. And he's now dating and he has brought his fiance, not fiance. Oh, sorry, man. I jumped the gun there. Well, and I, and they, they, they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was last second too that, yeah. that I even invited him. I'm like, Hey, I'm just like, his hey, girlfriend. That's it. Just girlfriend. No expectations. <laughs> right. They are in love, but it's just girlfriend. Fiance. We called it here first folks. That it's going to happen here. <laughs> All right. Anyway, keep going. So anyway, uh, just last minute, I earlier today, I just sent him a message and I was like, hey, you're welcome to bring your girlfriend with you. That'd be awesome to be able to have her yeah. just join us and just hang out with us. Yeah. And we ended up having her on the podcast. So Well, it's fantastic to really hear her perspective and, um, you know, and her take on like, she was like, I am never dating an addict ever, you know, just anyway, listen to the show. It's listen so to good. the bonus content, which yep. gets awesome. Where can they find bonus content, Chris? They can find it at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. I got it. I got it again two <laughs> times in a row. This is awesome. <laughs> Chris is starting to figure out where you can donate to become an outsider. When you donate and become an outsider, what that does is it helps us provide scholarships for people who would not be able to afford therapy otherwise. So they get free therapy, might be able to find a, a, a retreat such as the boot camp that we talk about here, the warrior heart or the heart of a woman retreat. Um, and so if you're interested in hearing more of the bonus episodes, hop on to which website, Chris? Unashamedunafraid.com. That's our website. Yep. Slash donate. Correct. And that will help us. Uh, that will get you access to the bonus content and you can hear a lot more of Rod and Heather's story. So let's jump in and hear them talk about their commitment, their honesty, and their testimony of Jesus Christ. We got some some newbies on the podcast today. Is that me and you? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> We've got Rod and Heather. Welcome, and these, you guys. Uh, what's Thanks. cool about these guys is that they are just dating. So this is a different episode than, than what we've done in the past. So uh, Rod had reached out to me through our um, Unashamed and Afraid email and was like, hey, I'd like to talk to you about my story. And I'm like, give me a call. So we talked about it and I'm like, you are exactly what we're looking for. This would be great. <laughs> so here, awesome. here we are. Um, I actually met Rod back in November 2019 when we were up at the Warrior Heart Boot Camp, and um, he just kind of started his journey, not started his journey then, but just 
Uh, I'll let him tell it. So, so Rod, let's talk a, a little bit. How you jump into a little bit of your story of um, where were you at, like as a, as a kid? When did the addiction start for you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, first off, you guys are awesome. Love that you guys are doing this, and excited to share a little bit about my story. I think it's kind of a unique perspective on on recovery and and the journey that is recovery for me. Um, so when I was younger, uh, you know, I grew up, um, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints and had a great family, had a great growing up. I felt like, uh, I was one of seven kids in home and grew up mostly up in Cache Valley. And, um, anyway, we, every once in a while we'd go out to Colorado for my, where my grandparents lived and, um, my grandparents, got Sports Illustrated. And with Sports Illustrated comes the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. And um, I don't know, I was probably around 11, 12 at the time. And that piqued my interest. And I got, I felt, felt things that I hadn't felt before. And a combination of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, and then they also had a massager. And I discovered this combination of um, the Sports Illustrated issue and that excitement and the massager and and then I was masturbating and um, and it was exciting to me and um, and so whenever I feel down or you know needed a little lift then that's where I'd go um, it wasn't just Sports Illustrated then I I realized that I could get excited anytime, you know, just looking at women and, and seeing them as, as objects and this, um, like sex, sexual objects. And, and, um, and so it started with the Sports Illustrated and then just throughout my growing up years, you know, whenever I needed just to pick me up or wanted to feel good, then that's where I would go. Um, that was what I did. And I hit it. I was, very ashamed. I think some of that came from, you know, my older siblings, they had their own issues and I didn't want to worry my parents with burden them with additional quote unquote issues that I had. And so I didn't tell anybody and I, I hid it. I was really good at hiding and, um, uh, did that all through high school, would go on dates and come home and, and masturbate and, um, just think about, you know, the, the girl I was with, the girl I was dating, um, the kissing and the, you know, the, um, making out and all that. And, um, and so then it came time, I mean, I was going on a mission. I mean, why not? Um, but then I started feeling like, no, oh, I, I need to tell somebody. Well, so I did that, but I did it, you know, minimizing. I, you know, I didn't, I just like minimize, like, yeah, I looked at, I look at, um, the sports illustrated swimsuit issue and, you know, I got excited and, and, um, anyway, for whatever reason, they let me go to the temple, let me go to the, on a mission, um, went on a mission while I was on my mission. It didn't seem to be a problem, but what I didn't realize was I still like, I wasn't viewing like sports illustrated swimsuit editions, but I was, uh, still looking at women in an objectifying way yeah. and a taking way, yeah. a lustful way if you will. And, um, got back from my mission and, um, got into the college scene and 
went back to the similar habits. Like when I was on my mission, I wasn't, I was lusting, but I wasn't like masturbating or acting out that way. Um, so got back, but then I got back, um, after my mission, went to college, was going up to Utah state and same thing. I'd, I'd go on dates and come home. Um, I even, you know, with, with other, with women, I would just, you know, call, we called it Levi Lovin at the time mm-hmm. and get ex- excited that way. And, um, and then once I, um, peak or whatever, then I would leave. Yeah. And so, um, but again, didn't tell anybody, um, got met a gal dancing, uh, country dancing and, um, fell in, fell in love and she was 19 and I was 23 at the time and, uh, we were going to get married in the temple. And, um, so we got engaged and even then I was engaged and I, I acted out with another, with another woman while we were engaged as far as like just making out and, and touching breasts and getting excited that way. And so, um, I actually did end up telling my, at the time, fiance about that. And of course she was crushed. She was devastated, but she felt like she knew this was right. And Mm -hmm. she was going to go through with our temple marriage. It was a month away. And, um, I was scared to do that, but, but then she seemed like she forgave me and I was okay, let's do it. So, um, got married in the temple. Um, and then I thought, okay, well now my problems are solved. There you go. This is going to fix everything, right? This fixes everything. We've never heard that before. (laughs) This is a new concept. (laughs) On this podcast. Yeah. The ones I listened to quite a bit, but, um, yeah, that's, I, I felt the same way. Um, so, so three months into our, our marriage, I started acting out again, just, uh, viewing, you know, sportsillustrated.com, whatever, uh, swimsuit issue and, and back to masturbation and lust and, and no pornography at that time. And no, no pornography. Um, that came later. Uh, but yeah, well, I, I consider the sports illustrated swimsuit. I actually had pornography. So I actually had somebody ask that question one time when autumn and I were speaking at a fireside Uh and he's like, well, do you think Sports Illustrated is, is pornography? The swimsuit is the issue. And I said, well, that depends on who you ask. And yeah. why are you looking at it? Are you getting that and, you know, going to hang out with your wife and you guys were flipping through it together and looking at the cute swimsuits and stuff? And he's like, oh, no. And I'm yeah. all, is it, if it's arousing to you, is, you know, there's a lot of things that are in there that they're not wearing swimsuits. They're just painted on. So... Right. Yeah, it can be pornography depending on who you talk to. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I consider that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, and again, I was hiding, like, I I did kind of this past feeling idea of like I wasn't going to tell anybody. I was going to take this to my grave. If I told my wife, I don't know what would happen. Um, and so you know, we had we had kids together, and we ended up having five kids and fast forward, you know, and, and this addictive cycle of shame and, um, I don't know, more 
I don't call it repentance. I would just call it the shame cycle. Shame, shame yep. cycle. Yeah, yep. there you go. Shame cycle where I felt bad. And so I'm never going to do this again. And, yep. and so you do the try harder thing. Okay. I'm just going to read more, pray more, yeah. do all the things and then pull myself up by my bootstraps and let's try this again. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. And John Eldridge references that as a poser, right? Yeah. And I was a poser. I was really good at posing as this, you know, uh, as this great member of this church who, who was doing all the right things, checking the boxes, like James was saying. And um, from the outside looking in, I probably, you know, probably looked like a pretty healthy uh, relationship with my wife and family. And all the while I'm hiding this, this just weight, bearing this weight and this guilt and this shame and, and not really getting to the heart of what I needed to for recovery which is to be, at least for me, seems to be honesty. Yeah. But you didn't know that then, right? But yeah. then, so where, what is the, the peak of your addiction? Or, or maybe when you finally like, did you get caught? Did you come to your yeah. wife and, and disclose to her? Yeah. What, what was the story there? Kind of, what, was, what was the height of your acting out behavior first? Yeah. In- so um, I got into some pretty, um, what do you call it? Hard pornography online, all free stuff, you know, whatever I could look at. Um, and it was a lot of times at work and, uh, with a smartphone, you know, I'd take it in the bathroom and, and act out there. And, and, but this was just like, and then I'd be good, quote unquote, good for a while and, and white knuckle it for, you know, my kids, uh, baptism or, uh, a child blessing or something like that. And, um, And that was just, that was it. That was the cycle, Mm -hmm. right? For 18 years, I did that without my wife knowing, without anybody in my family knowing. I didn't share that with anybody. Did you ever share that with a church leader or anything? Uh, I did, but when I would, I would downplay it. Right. So you just did the minimizing and every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like normalized it. And so I guess what, right. So we kind of know what the peak, peak behaviors look like. Um, at what point, like when yeah. you finally are like, I'm, I'm done with this. Well, for one, I just felt like it was a matter of time before, uh, my wife checked the, my work computer. Yeah. And so, um, never forget the day, uh, January 24th, 2019, I go to, I'm out there shoveling and I said, I gotta, I gotta tell, I gotta tell my wife. And not in a million years did I ever think that I'd get divorced. So, so do you feel like you were guided by God at that point? Or was it just the, the guilt that set in? You knew you were going to be caught sometime and you're just like, I just got to tell her. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, for me, God's in it. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's pulling for me. Um, but I didn't feel that. I, I mean, I think it so was more back intellectual. Now, and, you were like, well, and, like, you know, Steve describes it as like, well, I'm either I'm dead now or I'm dead later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's one or the <laughs> other. So I, I guess I might as well pick when I'm going to be dead. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's a great way to describe it. And so I Hence picked the 24 this. hour rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend the way I disclosed or this part of the journey to anybody. Of course, this was my first time, right? My yep. 
my only time. So you didn't know what you didn't know. Didn't know what I didn't know. Exactly. And, um, so I shared that with my wife and, and she at first, you know, probably just the shock of it all. She was just like very loving and said, we can get through this. And, um, and for me, that meant that was a huge burden lifted, right? Yeah. I'd lied from the majority of my life, had this secret that I didn't share with anybody, felt a ton of shame around. And now that was lifted. And so I, I just felt a lot lighter and, and then that weight, basically I could just see it being passed on to her. It shifted onto her. Shifted yeah, on so her. You, you took the rock of pain, the big rock boulder, boulder of pain and handed it over to her. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that was hard. That was, that was probably harder to see her going through what she was going through than the 18 years, of what I was going through. Um, cause she, she, it just hit her like a rock, yeah. you know? And, um, just every night, just, just crying for hours, just crying and sobbing and then getting back up. And now she was pretending like that we had this relationship that we could, we, we were okay throughout the day so that the kids would, you know, feel a certain way or be okay. And, and then at night she just lose crumble, it. crumble. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, that weekend I started going to a ARP meeting, um, you know, addiction recovery and, um, just local I, up, up in Heber. And, um, I actually went to the wrong one, I guess it was an alcoholic one yeah. and they pointed me to the, um, sexual or lust addiction recovery one and, and started going to that. Um, when talked to the Bishop again, I was back to checking the boxes for my repentance. Oh, okay. And you know, when I went to the Bishop and told him, he's like, well, don't take the sacrament for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, and I'm like, what about my temple recommend? He's like, you can just go to the temple. You need that, you know, um, in your life. And so that was, that was good enough for me. If he's saying it, then that's good enough for me. Um, and then when that's cool that he wasn't like shaming to you at all. And so that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was happening though, was I was putting my repentance. I was placing that on him. Right. It was, I wasn't owning it. Gotcha. Cause I was like, Oh, if the Bishop says this, then it, if he says that I, these are the yeah. hoops that I need to jump through and the boxes that I need to tick, then I'm yeah. good. Yeah. And so, so your, I was your heart's jumping. not quite all the way there. Yeah. Thank, thanks James. Yeah. Nice. Uh, exactly. And so I was jumping through these hoops and then, oh yeah, we need to go to therapy, but I didn't take responsibility. You know, my wife would arrange it, you know, Rod, are, are we going to therapy or what? You know? And so she like, I found this therapist or my friend has this therapist. So we went to the therapist and, um, and I'd come out of the therapy session feeling very validated and, yeah, you can do this and you're changing. And she'd come out of it still feeling like an object. And mm -hmm. like this man's been lusting after me for 18 years. Yeah. And so she came out with still this heavy burden, at least from what I, I could see. And then the sobbing at night. And, yeah. and so, so was it couples therapy, individual therapy? Uh, the, it, um, a little of both. Yeah, a little both. So okay. we'd go as a couple and then the therapist would speak to each yeah. of us. Um, so that went on for about six months. Um, and then, um, my wife said, 
my wife at the time said, she prayed and said, if nothing changes by July 1st, then I'm going to have to do something different. And so July 1st rolls around and she gets a call from this, um, from this mental, uh, mental life coach. And, um, she calls and says, look, if you guys will, are you, if you guys are both in on this and we'll put in the work, I think you guys can work through this in a year. And so I'm like, wow, the day that she said that, uh, this is going to, you know, she's going to make a change. If something didn't happen, I'm thinking, oh good. Our marriage is saved. This therapist is going to, or this mental health coach is going to save us. And again, not taking ownership or responsibility Hmm. for, uh, for my own recovery. And, um, so now, when you disclosed, had you yeah. fully disclosed everything to her? Yeah. Or was okay, there stuff, stuff? This is, this okay. is a good question because like I said, I don't know that I would do it this way ever again, but, um, not that I will need to, but anyway, so, uh, so my wife took off after I disclosed to her, I didn't know where she was. The kids were like, where's mom? And so I told them, about my lustful behavior and how old were they? And my youngest at the time was nine and my oldest was 16. Okay. And, and I was talking about masturbation and, and they're like, what, you know, the younger ones, I have a a nine year old, 11 year old, 13 at the time, 15 and 16 year old. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, you know, just, vomited all over them because I was going to be honest now from here on out. And, and, uh, sometimes you need to be honest, but you need to be responsible with that honesty. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and age appropriateness is what we, we talk about with disclosing this kid to kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Age appropriateness. Yes. Very important. And then the other thing I would say is, um, so then I went to the ARP and I wrote my inventory the four step inventory, like everything I could think of that I, I could do and, um, or have done and wrote it all down. And again, not being responsible. I just said, you know, if you want to talk about it or to my wife, I'd said, if you want to talk about it, or if you want to read it, go ahead, you know? And this was like everything I did ever done. And neither of us have, had dealt with anything like this. And so she did. And, and, uh, and then that's when, you know, her doubt started coming into play where it was like, have you disclosed everything? And, and I was like, yeah, I wrote everything down. And then, you know, I'd think of one or two other things of like, of, of lustful behavior that I had done. And, and I'd share that with her and, and I couldn't think of anything else. And she's still like, you haven't told me everything, you know? And, um, and her dad even came to me and said, look, have you done, have you viewed child pornography? Have you, are you attracted to men? And, and I was just like, wow, you know, no, I, I, yeah. I shared everything. And, um, but it was that doubt and that broke that breaking of trust that, that takes time to, yeah. to rebuild. So anyway, so three weeks later after July 1st, um, I came back from high adventure camp with the priests 
as a priest advisor and um the the priest he's talking about are young men that are 16 16 18 year old young men yeah yeah in in the lds faith yeah 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 and and took my boy up there he got to come he's only uh 11 but they were like yeah bring him had a great time and then was was coming back and um thought everything was great you know i'm we're seeing this new um mental health coach and uh she's gonna fix everything and then two days after that um, my wife says that she wants a divorce Hmm. and that um she wants me to tell the kids and that it's and tell them that why we're getting a divorce and it was my fault you know because of this lie that i'd held on to and so um, it was now all on you to disclose that to the kids and she yeah. wasn't going to be part of that with you because this is all your fault yeah so we sat down the kids it was july 24th it was 19 years of the day that we got engaged and shared that with my kids definitely the hardest thing of that point in my life that i'd ever done a lot of tears I just, I didn't, it was one of those things like I was overcome with emotion that I could barely breathe. Um, and once I told him, I grabbed my clothes, put them in the back of my car and left the home and never came back to the home. And um, it was so hard. The crazy thing is I was convinced that I could win my wife back through the divorce. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what I did. Like I, I could put on this show and people did what, what I wanted, you know? And so that's not a very healthy place to be when you're going through divorce. Yeah. So, you know, I agreed to things that a lot of people <laughs> wouldn't agree to in, in divorce. And, um, and all the time I'm thinking, okay, she's going to change her mind. She's going to change her mind. And, um, November 1st, my divorce went final and it was, it was devastating. It was three weeks before boot camp, and, um, I just felt hopeless. Like, like I'll never be as happy as I was with my wife, with kids in a home. And there's no way, there's no possible way. And that's where I was at. So like in all this, it sounds like you're doing, like you're doing the honesty thing, but you're still kind of jumping through hoops. You're manipulating, you're checking boxes. Like where's God in this at this point? Yeah. So, so again, I'm, like what's I was, your relationship with like with God and who do you think he is at this time? Yeah. I was back to, it's all about, about my ex-wife, right? Like she was my God, my kids that's where I got my worth. And when that divorce was final, then that went away. Like there was no wife to get my worth. I felt worthless. And your, your wife was your validation. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't ever go to God for your validation. You just went to her. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't like I didn't have God in my life. Like I was still praying and, yeah, but, um, but that's because you needed to do that to check the box, right? Not because yeah. you had a relationship. Well, to feel good about myself. Oh, right. I'm doing the right things. Right. And, um, but then when that was gone, that was my rock bottom. Hmm. 
Okay. And so the day she, what the day the, or the day or that time when the divorce was final and you realized, yeah, I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah. Like my worth just was gone. Yeah. And, uh, and so where do you turn? Do I turn back to pornography, feel good? Um, or do I turn to God and change? So what do you do? Really change. <laughs> so I go to, I sign up. Well, that's another thing is, dude, God comes after you. If you turn to him, you know, the prodigal son, it's not just a story. It's reality. Like when you show up, God will show up. Like he's, he'll always show up, but you got to turn to him, right? You got to come to yourself. And that's what I did. And God came running. Like I went to an essay meeting and it was just by chance. I went to an essay meeting to get the white book because I was too cheap to pay the extra 10 bucks for the online ber- the online shipping or whatever. So I went to an essay meeting down in Lehigh. I'll never forget. And then that's where I saw the pamphlet for the um, Warrior at Heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Warrior Heart boot, boot Camp. Warrior Heart Boot Camp. And, uh, and like, this is something that I need to do. And um, the great thing about the Warrior at Heart Boot Camp for me was it changed the way that I wanted to develop a relationship with Christ. It was no longer say your prayers, read your scriptures. It was, I need to get to know this, this deity. I need to get to know this savior, this friend, this loving God who, who gave his all, who sacrificed himself, gave everything for me. And he would have done it if it was just me. Like, that's who I need to find. That's who I need to discover. And that's what boot camp did for me. I remember going to boot camp. It was so cool. Uh, who's the guy with the podcast? The um, Kirk uh, Frankham. Kirk Frankham. I asked him for a blessing. He gave me a blessing up there. And, um, and that was just the start of this new journey and this new relationship with Christ. And this is like three months or three weeks after your divorce, right? That you go up to boot camp and yeah. have this experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I decided that my repentance isn't about what the bishop tells me is okay or not okay. It's what me and God think so is okay. And, um, and that was really hard for me because I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm not ready to go to the temple. Um, and, it was coming up. My son was turning 12 the next year. So in our faith, in the faith, the uh, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, that's when they get the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood. And um, usually the dads will give their son the priesthood. I have one son. <laughs> and I had to tell him that I wasn't ready to give him the priesthood. But it was, it was so amazing to have that conversation with him because I told him also that when I use the priesthood, he will know that I'm worthy to use the priesthood. And, um, but it was so hard, so hard. Um, but then it became my repentance. You started to own it. Yeah. 
I started to own it and it became about my relationship with Christ at that point. And, um, oh man, there's so much, <laughs> so much goodness that came. So after the, um, after the Warrior at Heart boot camp, I got into Christian music, loved the messages there. Um, I started a, a morning revival, <laughs> I call it. And I play this uh, God of Jacob. Um, uh, what would it be? Um, Just a, a YouTube clip. Like it, it's really yeah. good. You sent those to me and I listened to them a yeah. couple days ago and they were good. Yeah. And it's talking about like when God asked Jacob, like, or when, when Jacob asked God, or Moses asked God, what should I call you, you know, to the people? Yeah. He doesn't say the God of, he says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and he doesn't say the God of Israel at that time, which was Jacob's new name after he, you know, he came to God. He says the God of Jacob, hmm. you know, the God before you were Israel, you know, through your hard times, through your, through your journey. And uh, he, I love he's that. He's the God of those who deal with addictions, those who are yeah. in the the tranches of addiction that are doing bad things, it, it's that's still God. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So and I never looked at it until I heard that way until I heard you or <laughs> when you sent that to me. I was like, "This is awesome. This yeah. is really good." Yeah, I love that. I love that. And he did. He does say that in there. This is this is your God. He made, he made it feel God like for yeah. This is this is my God, and He is there for me, and He does show up for me. And I um, got into, you know, a recovery group of guys that we make phone calls. We call each other. You know, when things come up, we call each other. Um, and we just feed off them. And, and the, main, the main points to this group is like honesty, humility, and responsibility. Those are kind of the foundation for this group. And, and I love it. And that responsibility piece is kind of that accountability. Yeah. And so, um, start, so I start doing dailies where I'm listening to the revival and I'm, and I'm reading my scriptures in a new way, you know, to find, to find Christ, to build, build this relationship with Christ. Yeah. So So he's, he, you're finding, you were getting validation from your wife and, you know, maybe kids and a few other things before. Yeah. How, how are you getting your validation from God now? I know you're, you're talking about engaging in some of these activities. Yeah. Um, do you got any, anything specific or anything that's coming up for you around? How are you getting really that deep validation from God now? Yeah. Where is that showing up for you? I love that. I love that. Well, um, the scriptures talk about getting eyes to see, see yeah. and ears to hear. And I think that's what's happening with me and my journey. And, um, I see God in my life more. I'm able to recognize that. Um, one of the, one of the talks that's really helped me is a talk by elder, um, Anziano Boucher, and he's talking about unleashing the dormant spirit. Essentially the talk is how do you create an environment where the spirit of God exists? And so that became, where I'd focus my dailies on. Okay, um, am I going to listen to this music or am I going to listen to this music? And and those choices became, is this going to invite the spirit or is it going to push the spirit away? And um, I really 
at least for me, I had to go, I had to be all in on God for my recovery. Mm. I had to be all in like. You were going to trust him. Trust him. Yeah. All in. Tell me what all in. Tell me about all in. Yeah. Right? What is that? Right. Cause so many like, what does all in look like? Yeah, like, exactly. Right? So what is all in for you? One of the, one of the way I listened to an, another podcast, all in podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it, but anyway, uh, one of the, one of the best descriptions I've heard is, you know, when Peter's walking on the water and he's following Christ out there. Right. And, and he falls, you know, his faith, um, he loses his face or concentrate or whatever he falls and he reaches up to Christ. Mm-hmm. And to me, the reaching up is the all in for Christ, knowing that he is there and that he will, he will help you up. He will get you out. And, um, and then, so I started this from going from this hopelessness, this place of hopelessness yeah. to this place of, wait a second, if God tells me I can, you know, I don't have to have these uh, lustful thoughts, then he can make that happen. If God tells me that there's more in store for me through the covenants with him I've made, I can trust in that. Yeah. And then that became hope. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. It's- I can do this. There is... There is joy beyond what I've even experienced to this point in my life. Yeah. And so you're very much, you know, like you're very much in this journey right now. You're doing this right now. Yeah. And, and it's still part of what you engage in and, and live in every day. And <laughs> I get to sit, I get to sit here and look into his eyes and just see he is, you know, he's lit up just the light, uh, right. Uh, that as you have this new, hope and discovery in, in who Christ is yeah, and who God is for you. And just the joy that emanates from that, from you, it's, you know, I wish awesome. everybody got to sit here and see <laughs> that, you know, I love that. Now, I love, I love that. I, I know one of the, some of the things that the listeners are going to want to hear is you go through a divorce and obviously you get separated before that. But so when I was talking to you before, you said the last time of acting out was even before you had disclosed everything to your wife. So you become single. How are you sober? Because we have so many listeners that, that are like, how do people get sober when they're single? Because they have nothing to fight for, or they're just like, screw it. I don't have to worry about it. And it'll all change when I get married. Like we've all thought which it doesn't, <laughs> but so, so how have you been able to remain sober since uh, I think before January of 2019? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say I want a relationship with Christ more than I want to act out in lust. So what do you do when you have those temptations come? Yeah. Um, so, cause I know they still come cause they still come for me and I've got 13 years of varieties, but right. they still come. But what do you, what do you do specifically? Yeah. Thank you. That helps you. Yeah. So, um, so for me, it's creating this environment, this space, and it's a choice you have to make every, every day. It, it just doesn't happen. You every know, day. Chris, every you day. know, like tomorrow it could be gone. Like your sobriety could be gone but you got to choose it every day. It's just like everybody else has to choose Christ 
or God or the world. Like it's no different. And um, yeah, so the last time I acted out was that January when I told uh, my wife and by acting out, I've, I assume you're talking pornography and masturbation. Right. right. And, um, but what I also discovered is that I was still lusting, like on my mission, when I'd check out girls, I'd still lust, you know, and make it about like, oh, getting a little hit and feeling a little good, you know? And so I had to get further upstream. So what, what was, why was I, why was I needing, quote unquote, needing to get that hit? And, um, and that's where you discover even more stuff. Like the world just opens up into this, wow, I didn't know I was doing that type thing, like control or getting my worth from other people or posing. Like I didn't know any of this stuff was going on, but it was all going on in my life. And, um, and so then I focus on that stuff, the stuff further up the stream. So I don't know. Does that yep. answer the question? Yeah. So, so now further down the road, you've been divorced for a year and a half, mm-hmm. almost two years, coming up on two years. Yeah. You've been dating. What has that been like? Because we want to be able to get to Heather and hear <laughs> how she came into your life and what this has been like for her dating somebody that's been in recovery for as long as you have been and, and go from there. Well, I, I love the definition of recovery that there's not a destination. I think that's something that at least I was like, Oh, as soon as I get this therapy, I'll have arrived. Or as soon as I tell the Bishop or my wife, then I'll be done. When I go through all 12 steps, I'm done. Yeah. Cause I did all 12 <laughs> steps. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. But, but what I discovered is the 12 steps is life. To me, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a way of life, a way of living. Yeah. And it's this journey and it's, this journey is amazing. This journey is amazing. And it's a journey of growth and discovery and learning and growing. And yeah, I did those things in my past. It doesn't mean I need to do them in the future. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I was, I was sticking with my dailies. I was going through and I was, but I, I was just like in this group and I was doing my own thing. But then I was like, I need to share this. Like I need to share my joy that I found my relationship with Christ with others. And I need to get out and I just start socializing. I can't, I can't just be this hermit that just does recovery in his, in his house. Yeah. Well, nobody does recovery alone anyway. Yes. Yes. I love that. Um, absolutely. And so like, so one thing, the first thing is God, right? Second thing for me was creating an environment that, that invited the spirit. And then the third thing for me was getting a support system, support people. We all need community that I could call, that I could talk to openly and that they could share their stuff with me. And I like those things were so important and well, are so important right now in my journey. Like that's something I'll always work on. So you've got all the sobriety behind you and you kind of make it feel like it's a little simple. So tell our listeners, like, is this an easy process? What are you doing? No, it's, it's, it's been, it's been hard. Like, and all, I, I mean, most things in life worth doing are hard, I think. 
And, um, and one of the things that I've, I've struggled with throughout, um, my marriage is this getting worth from my kids. Mm. And, um, and I still have that pull or that temptation or that desire to have them look at me a certain way. Mm. And that's out of fear, right? I'm scared that if they don't look at me a certain way, then I'm not a good dad or I'm not a good person. And, um, and so I, I still struggle with that. And it, and that's something that I'm, I'm working on, but, and I now have these tools, this group, like I talked about this environment that I've created that helps me to look at each, look at each experience and grow from it instead of just hold it in shame. Right. Yeah. Maybe I do get that. Maybe I did have an experience where I was like, you know, shaming my kid, like, I can't believe you did that. Or I'm pushing, you know, some of Christ's teachings on them instead of like inviting them. And I do do that sometimes. And, but now I look at that and I pray about it and I get vulnerable with God and talk to him about it. And I take it to my group and say, look guys, this is what I did. It fell off. You know, what am I missing here? And I learned from it. I talked to Heather about it and she's awesome at uh, looking at those experiences and tell me how I can improve and how I can learn and, and just surrender and trust in God. I do me. I work on my relationship with him and, and those other relationships will, will benefit from that. Yeah. Like your, your story, like the way that you're doing, you know, recovery, like you're hitting on, like you're doing all of the, the like key components. You got commitment to honesty, a commitment to being vulnerable and sharing your emotions. You have a commitment to having a community around you, a solid, a band of brothers, right? Um, you have this commitment toward um, this inviting God into this recovery and into this, um, this change for you. Like, do you have like, some of this stuff takes guys years or forever, you know, to really get to. And so if you're listening right now, if you want to know what recovery looks like and how it really works, go ahead and rewind this and listen again. (laughs) Cause Rod is hitting it right on the head as far as honesty, vulnerability, removing the shame, have a solid community of a band of brothers or people around you that are an awesome support system and bring God in. Yeah. Thank you, James. I love that. And I just want to say one other thing. Don't worry about it. You've got forever. Like Christ made this about, not about just today, not about tomorrow, not two years from now, but you got eternity. His atonement is infinite. Now is Heather the first person that you dated? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, okay. um, should I tell the story of how we met or do you want Heather to tell the story? So I actually want Heather to, to, to we're going to have her talk in the bonus content. Okay. Because cool. I, th- I think that'd be really cool to have you just tell your side of the story of, of where you're at now in the bonus content. Okay. Um, so like I, I've, I felt from the whole beginning that, that your stuff needs to go into the, the bonus content. Okay, so should I not say anything during here? Because sometimes when he's describing something, I'm like, oh, I could add something, but I don't know if I should. <laughs> like such, such as? 
Okay. Such as when Rod was talking about um, his repentance process and um, when he was telling me about um, how he was owning his mistakes in his past and how his heart changed, it like I've studied the gospel my entire life and yet I had never understood repentance the way he was telling me of this whole new change of heart. And we've heard, I've heard that, you know, change of heart and being born again and born of Christ. But it, it just took on a whole different meaning to me as the spirit was witnessing to me. And he was explaining how he was a new person now and how it wasn't just about apologizing to those that he had affected and, and not doing it again. And, and that was so powerful to me that even though I don't I hadn't been struggling with the way I define addictions. Um, I I looked at the way I was white knuckling through other things that I was trying to change in my life and how those things I wasn't improving very much on and how I could have a new change of heart if I applied this this kind of process where it's it's more um, it's more about this complete reliance on Christ to, to, to completely change your desire and not, not have that desire to, to turn to those things or, and, um, and being able to see things through an eternal perspective and not shaming yourself. It's like what he was talking about upstream, you know, all the phone calls he, he calls to his group. They're not about when he's tempted to lust it's, it's way upstream from that. It's like when he's tempted to um, not be centered on Christ or have fear in his life or because if it's when you start down the path of fear, then, then you, you distract yourself through addictions and, and whatever. He's creating a band of brothers, Mm -hmm. not just for when you need something, but Mm -hmm. somebody that's constant, somebody that's constantly there for you. That's part of the support group that you're talking about. The, yeah. the support that you need in your recovery. It's like um, some people that he trusts that will be centered on Christ and centered on truth so that um, when he's just reacting, cause we all react out of emotion and stuff, then he can be like, okay, I'm, I'm emotionally triggered by this thing right now. I'm trying to s- stay focused on truth and what, how can I do that? You're removed from the situation. What can you see? And these, these guys that he calls, they validate, you know, yeah, this is a hard situation and this is what's true. Not the story you're telling yourself about what's happening. And so helps him so that, yeah. And I got so excited about hearing what he was learning that I wanted to learn it too. And I've improved so much and I couldn't believe like how much I've been learning about, um, um, I was really into making everybody feel comfortable around me by d- just giving into what they wanted or, you know, trying to take responsibility for other people's feelings, you know, all the time. And so trying to control the situation around me that way. And I've been learning principles about how that's not healthy and stuff like that, you know, just like learning about codependence. And, yeah, exactly. So, and, um, when we had known each other three weeks and uh, he told me about uh, why he had gotten divorced and his addiction. And I said, 
I'm sorry, I have this list of 13 things I have to have in a man and I would love to be friends with you, but I don't date addicts. So So you have that list already put together. You're like, not an addict. Yeah. And in fact, there had been this guy that had asked me out that had been sober for 10 years. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't eat, I don't date addicts, you know, this other guy. So it was like, absolutely would not. And then, um, as I got to know him, I, I realized that he was not white knuckling it. He wasn't what I describe, what I would define an addict as because he was a, a totally different person. And so he was healed. Yeah. So once an addict, always an addict. Yeah. That ain't a thing, is it? It isn't. And right. I couldn't. It, that's that's anti-atonement. That is anti-Christian. Yeah. Right? I couldn't reconcile that. I believe in the atonement. And yet I I thought, how does this work? Because I see these addictions just gripping people, even if they're sober. So how does this, how does the atonement heal? You know, I've, I've had good friends and family members that just struggled their whole life. And so meeting him and seeing his, this change in just a very relatively small amount of time is such a miracle to me and has brought me so much closer to Christ. Sweet. Well, I'm, I'm actually really excited to hear more <laughs> detail about your guys' story with how you guys met, how you guys came together. Um, I know you guys have been dating for about 10 months now. And you said earlier, it's serious now. So that's, that's <laughs> awesome. So we really want to hear that. We're going to go into more detail about that in the, in the bonus episode. But as you know, from listening to previous podcasts, we have you choose a song that resonates with your heart, that somebody or that uh, um, just really you connect with. What song would you choose for us today? So I, I gave it some thought and, and you can X us out if, if you'd like, but uh, there's... Again, no way, man. This is your song. You well, can, <laughs> well, it's not really a song. So it's like uh, one of those sermons. It's like a seven, eight minute clip sermon. Sweet. And it's uh, Jesus is loving Barabbas. Barabbas. Okay. And it's so, it's, it's way the best. Good. I love I it. it. It was really, that was one of the ones you sent me. Yeah. Yeah. He sent me three. So we actually, <laughs> we'll actually put these other, these yeah, three we'll up there so that you guys can see the ones that he sent um, in the, the actual content. But then we'll. We'll, we'll finish up with this story about Barabbas or Barabbas. Yeah, what, what however are we you say it. I <laughs> yeah, think we, we got all kinds of pronunciations <laughs> for it. So we'll end with that and then we'll jump into the bonus content with Rod and Heather. Sweet. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative, his name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel, and why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. 
He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of a Heavenly Father. When I look at the story, I realize who Barabbas really is. That's me. That's you. That's us. And I felt I was reading this the other day and I felt God speak to me. I love Barabbas. I love him. But God, he's a bad man. I love him. And I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the free get? Yeah, but I love Barabbas while we were still sinners Christ died for us God sent his son for Barabbas even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back he loves them and the nerve the call and the audacity of believers to think I got saved by grace but now that I'm in this deep dark place of bondage I better work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin, the sexual urges? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it! No, you won't! You're no match! For the powers of hell and the urges of sin and sexual temptation, you will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one and he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. 
take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me, say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I say, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh, God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others, and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive? Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. And I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If His blood is sufficient for your salvation, His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough.